0: None. Okay. Well, all right, well, let's get into our lesson for today. We are in chapter forty-eight. Okay, counting today. There's uh, there's today, and then two more chapters after that. And we will we will have lived a miracle of finishing a book of the Bible. Won't that be uh, that? Will be amazing. All right. So where we are is uh, 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 Joseph is uh, got everybody now in Egypt. They're living in Goshen. And uh, uh, they have the promise of, uh, of family preservation, you know, the famine is everywhere. And presumably the famine is also in Goshen, but apparently Goshen was enough of a fertile area that it was less affected by, uh, by, the, by this big famine. And so we pick it up in, uh, in verse one. It says, sometime later Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. So what the picture we get here is that uh, Jacob is near death. He's his, his long life, and he's kind of, in some ways, reached a kind of a complete turnaround at the end of his life because during his life there was, a, you know, a lot of difficulty, a lot of hardship, and then he went through that whole ordeal with, uh, with uh, maybe perhaps... Losing his sons in addition to uh, his son of Joseph, who he thought who he thought was dead, and so he 's just sort of getting it at the end and so what he 's doing here at the end is he 's kind of putting together sort of the last advice, sort of the last things he wants to say to his kids before uh, before he goes to heaven and so he's sort of taking care of the last minute sort of sort of loose ends and that's what we're going to get in this uh, uh in, in this part of the chapter and so one of the things that occurred to me is how many of you or how many of us think about what would be the last things that you would want to make sure that the those that are going to come after you n- would need to know before you go to heaven. Anybody ever think about that kind of stuff? And I've only thought about it recently because we just buried my mom not too long ago. So there's there's that part of it for me. But I was curious about that for you. How many of you have given... Do you have like a... Uh, like I have a little black book. Yes. And in the little black book is every single username and password that I have for the all the stuff that I do online. Now, I would totally recommend that you have some form of that that you can give to your to whoever comes after you. Because I say that because I have been going through scraps of paper looking for passwords and usernames of my mom's stuff. And because she wrote down stuff that was good, But then she just wrote it down on random pieces of paper and then stuck it places. And so I'm having to go through every single scrap of everything in order to find stuff. And uh, uh, eventually you just sort of give up and you kind of hope. Uh, that uh, it, somebody will have mercy on you <laughs> and give you the what you need. So that's a, that would be one recommendation that, uh, and I've heard other people who talk about end of life, they kind of talk about that now, usernames and passwords, and the names of uh, accounts and things like that. Yeah, Carl.
1: And two, two key points. Two key points. Yeah. When people fill out their will, yeah. if you don't have a will, Get one, yeah. But you know, it's supposed to be a will and testament. So when you do your will, also write out your last wishes. Your oh yeah, yeah. Of what you believe and what you want to follow your family members to follow. Sure. In your stead. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, instead of having a little black book that you can easily lose <laughs> mess up, there's a wonderful encrypted uh, password manager called Last. Yes, last pass. L a s t p a s. Is that really yes. good? Is that yes. a good? Yeah, just don't forget tomorrow? your and password. You to one one <laughs> oh, oh, a testament. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, a testament. <laughs> we have a testament. <laughs> then She said, "Don't, <laughs> don't forget the password
0: to the last yeah. pass. You the one password
1: forever. to get into it. Yeah. But then everything you put in there is compressed and saved, and you can easily." inquiry on
0: it. Is that a .com or .org or what it's, is that? Yeah, like?
1: lastpass.com. Okay. And it, it's free. Yeah.
0: This good. Yeah. And pl- please use that. This is very good.
1: <laughs> there's, a, there's a few others like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it First certainly you makes your, your life simple. easier because if you could go to the if you forget something, you just type in the first few letters and, mm-hmm. and it'll find it for you. Okay. <laughs> wow. I mean, the first, I'll get want to look up Got this one. Kroger. You know, Sorry. What, okay. what was my password for Kroger? Oh, yeah, K-R-O-L-E. I know. And it'll show it to
0: you. Because they tell you not to have the same password for everything. But then, of course, then you have like a little black book like I do. So. <laughs> Oh yeah, number three. Yeah, I just did.
1: that was I made up a little spreadsheet. Yeah. And said, here are, here are my here's my password for LastPass. <laughs> here here's our primary information yeah. like our our phone numbers, our Social Security numbers. Yeah. Uh, our driver license numbers. Oh, that's good. Date of birth, mm-hmm. and then here's the, the bank accounts. Yeah. And gave those to my daughters. Right. They have them.
0: Yeah, see, one of the things I did about probably about eight months ago is that um, I went with my mom to the bank and I got on the signature cards for all of the accounts. Oh my gosh, has that that saved me? Because uh, I wouldn't have had access to be able to pay any of the bills or anything like. That. So that was another that was that was another really good thing. And I've been told that that it's not enough if you are the power of attorney, which I was, but it's not enough if you present that document to the bank; they won't honor it. You have to, the, the person herself has to go into the bank and do that with you. So, I kind of got lucky on that because I didn't know there was that that stipulation. So, some of you are shaking your hands, uh, your head. So you've been through this yourself. So, this is really, uh, you know, it's just kind of one of the. It's all the legal stuff. It's but it's all you have to do. All that. It's just that doing it kind of gets in the way of the grieving part. You know, I mean, not that I've ever been a real gusher, griever, that kind of thing. But, but you, you kind of want to let go and sort of move through it. You kind of want to do that. It's just hard to do that. So I've got the probate hearing coming up in uh, on the 13th of this month. And so then when that happens, that will, that's going to expedite an awful lot of. All this other stuff i 'm doing, so anyway pretty uh, pretty interesting all right well, so that 's all the stuff I was thinking about when I read <laughs> that it said, "Your father is ill okay <laughs> that's where my brain went, yes, oh, and by the way if you if you have planned your funeral like like your favorite hymns and stuff like that, let Pastor Coleman know I, he has like a little black book too, and a record of that and that's it 's very helpful to know what is your Favorite Bible verse and, and uh, what were your favorite hymns? I happen to know all that stuff because that, I just listened to my mom and then she would tell me and then I would sort of note it. So anyway, that's good stuff to, to know too. Then you don't have to sort of guess you know, what it might be. So this is all good. Okay, well that, enough of that. So now notice what Joseph, notice what Jacob's doing. He's retelling the story Uh, to Joseph about how God came to him and talked to him in Canaan and what the promise was okay now why is he retelling this because we have seen this habit and this sort of repetition all through the book of Genesis that whenever this uh, God spoke to us and here's what he said that then it gets retold again and again and again and again why yeah, Richard.
1: My observation is a lot of times when you tell your kids information. When you tell your kids stuff? They're not listening. They're not listening. That's okay. uh-huh. Until, you know, they get a certain age or experience, and all of a sudden, uh, Dad, what'd you say about this or that? Yeah. You know, and I think about my years in middle school teaching. Yeah. And I'm like, people may complain all they want. Mm-hmm. About kids not being taught, mm-hmm. they aren't listening. Mm-hmm. I
0: mean, it's not an important thing. So, if you're talking to somebody and they appear to be listening, how do you know if they are?
1: <coughs> Stop and ask. The <coughs> eye contact. I ask questions.
0: I. Somebody said eye contact. Okay, so if they're doing like this, <laughs> they're they are listening. Uh, stop and ask a question, Stop and ask a question. Like, are you listening to me? Like that question. Oh not that question. Yeah. Boy, that puts him on the spot. She says to me Yeah. Yeah, you know, we should ask for some personal testimonies here, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. See how do you know? I mean some people are really good at faking it. Okay. I personally am a professional listener. And if you're a professional listener, you can accomplish a lot of things while people are talking to you, <laughs> okay? So one of the things that helps every once in a while is if you're talking to somebody and maybe you're, you think they're listening or maybe you don't, is to say, um, uh, okay, I just wanna make sure that I'm coming across in a lucid way. So tell me what it is you're hearing me say. Yeah, see, and if you do it that way, you're putting the pressure, I do, I put the pressure on myself to be articulating something in an understandable way, rather than put the pressure on you to pay attention to what I'm saying, okay? So it it reduces the likelihood of a defensive reaction, because if somebody gets defensive, there ain't no listening going on then at that point, okay? So it's just a way, it's a way to think about that. So, uh, so there's a couple reasons why It was very uh, common in the Old Testament times for them to continue to repeat the story over and over again. First thing is, at this point, the word is not written. See, that doesn't come till way later. Moses writes all this down later. But you even think about, well, how did Moses write all that down if it wasn't written down that he could look at? And then copy it, right? It's all oral. So when things are orally transmitted, then it was very important for them to make sure that they got the story right, the sequence right. Everything had to be exactly the way it was. So there was this repetitious kind of uh, uh, retelling of something. The second reason is that story is powerful. Story is powerful. So it's not just that they would continue to sort uh, sort of regurgitate facts here are the facts. They didn't do it that way. They told it in the story form. And when you tell something in story form, it's a whole lot easier to sort of recall that and put a personal uh, uh, involvement into it, uh, that it's not just God said, right? But it's God said to me. And then the uh, third thing is, is that if we don't keep telling the stories, what happens is is that the the stories that come from the culture will impose themselves on us. And so that's a lot of what we're seeing today in, in terms of the sort of casualness or the lackadaisical attitude that a lot of people have toward the stories of the faith. Is that if we think, oh, we don't need to hear that stuff because we've heard it a million times, guess what? There's a whole generation of people that never heard it. And you know, it used to be, and, and Pastor Coleman and I have talked about this, Pastor Lee and all three of us have talked about this, that it used to be like maybe 30 years ago that you could preach a sermon and make reference to one of the Bible figures and not have to explain who it is. It's hard to do that now because you have to explain who that is. We see him. oh yeah, you, everybody knows who Noah is, everybody knows who Moses is. No, that's not true anymore. Because a lot of people grow up in... Uh, households where they didn't have the stories, or they grew up where they didn't go to church, or they grew up in such a way that, that it wasn't a significant part of their faith story to be able to reference back to the stories of the forefathers of our faith. So we would make those assumptions. You just can't make those anymore. And that's kind of a sad commentary, isn't it, on the spiritual priorities that uh, that are not so present in a lot of households as it is today. So so we keep telling the stories. We keep going back to the to the heroes of the faith so to speak. Now, heroes of faith doesn't mean they were perfect, doesn't mean that they were like I mean, we've seen as much dysfunction here as in any soap opera today. I mean, it, we but we know that God is faithful through it and that's how you how you get that uh, that messaging. Yeah.
1: The other point is that Joseph's essentially been an Egyptian since he
0: was That's a great point. Yeah, he has really not been exposed to uh, to any of that, um, and maybe even on some level has culturally become part of that. But in his religious life, he has remained devoted because the Egyptians make reference to God. They know who God is, and the only way they would know that is if they had seen that and heard that in Joseph. So excellent, excellent point there. Great point. So again, it's just this idea that we, we, we should not take for granted that, that um, there is a common appreciation or even understanding of the Word and the parts of the Word that is dear to us. Sometimes, again, I think we just kind of think, well, you know, I've already heard that. And, yeah, but maybe somebody around you hasn't. And so to link the story of God's faithfulness to the generations past, to link it then to your own story, is a really powerful way to uh, share the good news of Jesus. And it doesn't have to be um, a tearjerker story. It can be like a really just, hey... He walks with me every day kind of thing. Okay? Any other thoughts about that? Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go to verse 5. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours in the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. So what he's doing here, what, uh, what Jacob's doing, is he's also making very clear what is the line of inheritance. Okay, Again, kind of part of the last sort of things to take care of. It's like uh, filling out your beneficiary uh, forms right, in terms of who's going to get what. Because again, he understood and he knew how it was in those days. Is that if you weren't named under somebody else's name or under the name of the father then it would be very likely that you would not have anything coming to you after the death of the patriarch and so he understand that fully and so he's accommodating that he's making sure that uh, that these sons of Joseph are going to be well taken care of when they go back to uh, Canaan. What's what's implied is they're not going to stay in Egypt. Okay? Now, I don't I don't really know. I, Bob, do you know if they whatever became of them, Manasseh and Ephraim, did they did they go back they did, so they didn't stay. Yeah, they
1: became the two, two tribes of Israel.
0: That's right, because later in Numbers, I did a reference here in Numbers, they are mentioned of that. So, so they have a, a pivotal role to play later on in the, uh, in, in the way that the covenant ends up moving through the family. So good stuff. Jacob yeah. is
1: essentially adopting them as his own son.
0: That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Even though they weren't of his blood, they were of Joseph, Right. And so he says they are now they are now mine. Okay, um, and then the other part is is that he says bring them to me so that I can so I can bless them. And so again we remember that this rite of blessing was a big deal because again it was a way of of of, of sort of in a formal way so that everybody publicly could see that these two sons are not just simply Egyptian because they have an Egyptian mother, the assumption is, but they are also uh, in the family. And so there would be no dispute, right? There would be no uh, somebody questioning or doubting or something like that, okay? So that's that's what he's doing there. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him And his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. It's like he's just amazed by this, isn't he? He just never imagined. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them. Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, like that, right, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. What's the significance of this moment? Because, see, Joseph, he positioned the boys so that it would be easier for Jacob just to put his right hand on the eldest, and then his left hand on the younger. But uh, uh, Jacob crosses them up and does this. Okay, what's the significance? What's what's happening? The right hand's going to the youngest, right? Meaning, symbolically, that the blessing, the, the chief blessing, is gonna go to the youngest. Now, where have we seen this drama play itself out before? Where have we seen this? Jacob and, Jacob and Esau. Now, that one was gained by deceit, okay? There's no deceit in this one there. This is, but it certainly would have perhaps brought back some memories, I suppose, for, uh, for Jacob, and we know how that all kind of worked out. But again, this, this idea in the scripture, and we often see this God's ways are not our ways. I think we probably need to be reminded of that time to time, right? Especially when something happens and we think, oh, this can't possibly turn out to be a good thing. Oh, this is the worst thing ever in the world. You know, sometimes we we fail to see because we're operating in the heat of the moment, in the moment we're operating, and our vision and our perspective is about that much, right? We, We just don't see it. And then when we step back and we look, maybe over a long span of time, we say, oh, I can see what God was doing, all right? So God, so he has some, some intent here, and it's, he's very fervent about what he's doing. Yeah, Brian.
1: So with this going on, would this have affected Jacob's other sons? sons? Yes, kind of bringing those two grandkids.
0: You know that's a good question. Like, would they have been bothered by this in some way? I mean, given their sort of overall character, I think it probably would have. Maybe he's doing this like in the back room somewhere, and that they, they can't see it. What we're going to see in the next chapter is a uh, is what uh, what happens is a major blessing, if you will, uh, that for each of the sons. So there's sort of this last sort of uh, opportunity for jacob to get in the last word you know before he goes to heaven but he does it with all the sons. so maybe we'll see how that difference shows up okay great question all right all right so again it's this this idea that continues to be in the scripture that the younger that the olders that will serve the youngers and that whoever is the greatest will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. I mean, really, it turns upside down the expected way that things are supposed to be, where if you're the oldest, then you ought to get all the gravy. Now, personally, I have no problem with that, right? (laughs) but that is not God's way. God's way said, no, 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 we're not going to look at life the way the world looks at it, we're going to look at it through the lens of the way that God looks at it. And so we even see that here in the blessing in verse 15. He says, Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully the God who has been my shepherd all my day, all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. What a powerful statement it is! May he bless these boys, right? May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. So there is this 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 picturing a a special future. See, remember that was part of the blessing. The words of the blessing would involve a sort of a laying on of hands, kind of a touch thing, a little bit of an ordination kind of idea. But there was also this picturing of a special future that would be blessed by God. And and these are the words that these kids are hearing from their grandfather. How many of you are grandfather or grandmothers? How many of you are grand yeah, don't waste the opportunity to speak a blessing to your grandkids, you know, because the truth is they probably won't listen to their parents, but they might listen to you. And if you flash a little cash, then for sure they will, right? But it's just this idea that there's a, there are there are buku opportunities for us to speak words of blessing uh, to those that are going to come after us. And what a what an amazing thing, and, and if you think about it with these kids, is that they would have had, as they go through their lives, they would have had the voice of their grandfather resonate in their ears, right? And sort of this idea that, yeah, when life gets tough or when it gets really hard, oh, yeah, he said that to me, right? And so that in that way, the blessing that you have had as a uh, as a as a person of faith who's kind of walked through it all you get to be one who influences those that come after you so i think that's just the coolest thing all right but again notice what he says about god god who has been my what shepherd now remember we talked last week about how shepherds were viewed by the egyptians right it was sort of considered to be like the lowest of the low job you could have, like would be to be a shepherd. And yet the irony is, is that at least in Jesus' day, shepherds, even though they were looked at as, you know, you can't believe them because who knows what they're gonna tell you, so you can't testify in court, that kind of thing. Yet shepherds were often the ones who took care of the financial security of an entire community. Because oftentimes the flock itself was not restricted to the ownership of one person, especially in small communities. Small community, that was a community flock. And if anything happens to that flock in the form of a predator coming in and just eating everything up, then... then, then, you know, what, what do we got? We don't have food, we don't have wool, we don't have a, a, an economy, we don't have anything. And so shepherds were very often people who would take that job and would take that very seriously. Well, what is it that God in the scriptures did in terms of exalting shepherds? And we talked about, a little bit about this last week. The shepherd boy becomes king when we think about David, right? Right? Uh, Jesus is, is, is known as the good shepherd right? and as Bob uh, uh, Orr pointed out to me last week after class, there's a reason why there are references to, throughout the scripture of, of shepherds why is that? Because the reference to us is what? Sheep. We are sheep. We all are like sheep who have gone astray as Isaiah says. Yes, is that a compliment by the way? That is not a compliment. No, sheep are ornery and kind of obstinate, and definitely want to go their own way. Yeah, Armin.
1: Well, I, I thought it was interesting. That, that one phrase here, verse sixteen: the angel who has delivered me. Yeah. Yes. I know, That's interesting. It's almost like a guardian angel in a sense.
0: Well, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in what way did that occur? In what way was Jacob protected by an angel which would have been uh, personified as God, or the angel of the Lord often was God, but think back into like the the stories that we 've looked at in Genesis, you know yeah, you have to go back a year in your memory, but well what can you think of one remember after uh after Jacob, what, after he had his little deception with Esau, what did he eventually have to do? He had to leave, right? And so all through that, God protected him, maybe in the form of an angel, right? So what is he doing? He's, he's attributing that to him, all right? So again, it's just this idea that what God's word often does is gives great stature to something that you and I would look at and say, oh, shepherd. That's like a parking lot attendant. You know, it's like we, we're, we are rather diminishing in our, in our description of different things that people do. But God does what? He says, oh no, I'm using that person. I'm using that profession. I'm using that uh, role. And that role is essential for the plan that I have. So, you know, we can kind of learn from that, right? Not to, not to diminish uh, even those kinds of things. Well, verse 17... So when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. (laughs) Doggone it, my father isn't doing what I want him to do, right? So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Now, what is Joseph thinking? my father's blind he can't see right he can't see that's what he's assuming but his father refused don't you hate it when your parents don't do what you tell them to do (laughs) doggone it you know they should know better right i know my son i know he too will become a people and he too will become great nevertheless this younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. So, so you know, what what uh, uh, Jacob's doing, he's not sort of cutting Manasseh out of the deal and saying that he there's nothing that he can look forward to in life. There, he's not saying that. But he's, again, according to God's plan and how this is going to work out. Um, the younger is served by the older, and the greater is the younger instead of the older. And it just messes with... Uh, messes with our heads and it certainly messed with uh, with joseph 's head, okay, so he blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh, so he put Ephraim ahead of manasseh i uh, referenced uh, out of the book of uh, numbers uh, this reference uh, this reference in terms of the army draft that they had. And it does indicate that there was a difference in the number of descendants that came from each of them. So, from the sons of Joseph, from the sons of Ephraim, all the men 20 years old or more who were able to serve in the army were listed by name according to the records of their clans and families. The number from the tribe of Ephraim was 40,500. And then from the descendants of Manasseh, all the men 20 years old or more who were able to serve in the army were listed by name according to the records of their clans and families. And the number from the tribe of Manasseh was 32 too. So there, right? Yeah, so then that, it's kind of neat again that, that you actually get a numerical fulfillment of this blessing that, uh, that Jacob had given. So then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and will take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. So again, what 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 uh, uh, Jacob is doing is he's also sort of giving a little bit of that sort of old uh, favoritism that he showed to Benjamin as well. Uh, you know, I still have the ones that are really truly mine, etc. Plus, you guys have turned out pretty good, so you're going to get an extra ridge. So apparently, there was an extra uh, uh, tract of land that uh, would eventually then be inherited by uh, by Canaan, okay, or by at Canaan, okay. So isn't it kind of interesting that if you look at the way the story is playing out? The promise of the land, um, and a lot of people today have kind of debated about that, is the land that we're talking about, land of Canaan, which now is, we say, say a big part of that Middle East where Israel is, and the Palestinians are, and all these uh, different uh, tribe or tribes or nations are, is this idea of the land is the land Israel's and nobody else's. Does Israel have a right to say this is our land because God gave it to us and that was the way God meant for it to be so it's we're the only ones that can live there and be there or is it okay for other people to be there? That's the huge argument today in terms of that and whether or not we should take those, that promise that was given to them where he talks about this will be your everlasting uh, Uh, inheritance or if that was only for that day and age and not for all of time. That's the huge debate that's going on today in terms of whether or not people believe that Israel has a right to that part of the land but then uh, the Lebanese have a part to their part of the land and the Palestinians have a right to their part of the land. So that is not settled in anybody's mind in terms of what he was talking about. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to remember now, how many years from here came the
0: exodus? Came the exodus? Was 400? I think I think that that reference was 430 years. 430 years yeah.
1: Point quite So he's really protecting way.
0: Yeah, he really is. And the other part of it is, is that he's making promises to his kids about land that currently somebody else owns. <laughs> so there is a little bit of presumptuous there, you know, I mean, you know, even I think that probably when the children of Israel left Egypt on, and toward the Promised Land, there was an assumption that as soon as we crossed the Jordan The Philistines and everybody that's currently occupying the land, they'll just lay down their swords and say, come on in, because this is the promised land. I think it surprised them that they actually had to fight for it. And maybe this is just part of the deal, that sometimes God promises stuff to believers. He just didn't tell the unbelievers that that was part of the promise, and maybe that's part of it, yeah. Well, I have a question about the group of nations. The group of nations. What is it really mean? I mean? These are just tribes. Well, they would, they would
1: be. Yeah. So that means that some settled nations from the Israelites? Or?
0: Well, um, well, well,
1: this is just
0: a term for I think so. Yeah, I think so. I'd have to look it up in the Hebrew to see if it meant nationalities. You know, there weren't that many. I mean, there was the Egyptians, but in terms of Israel, they were still tribal because they were the son, each of the sons formed their own families. And what we start to see in the history is that those tribes or those sons, the tribes don't get along any more than the sons did. The sons were sort of contentious with each other and always vying for a favorite, who's the favorite, and then who's going to get the best land, and you know, my flock is intermingling with yours, and it was all this sort of contentious stuff, and that doesn't really change until way, way later when King David is, a, is trying to consolidate, even a Saul before him, they're trying to consolidate the tribes in order to um, turn them into a nation, basically. Yeah, so I I don't know, I'd have to look that up and see if that reference is talking about nationalities or just a, another word for um, groupings, you know. That's a, That was a good question, yeah, yeah. Okay, any other thoughts on this? Okay, one of the things that we also wanna remember is that that there were times when God would make a promise, going back to this idea of the land, is that there was a difference between an unconditional promise of the land and a conditional promise of the land. And so one of the things that's, that's probably more fully articulated in the Old Testament later is that the land would be yours, or the blessings of that would be yours as long as you would. Remain faithful. If you worship other idols, you're cut out of that. you're cut out of that agreement. So that sometimes is also we have to be reminded of that that um, if I remain as I remain faithful to the Lord, then the blessings of the Lord will will come my way. But if I say, uh, eh, you know, no big deal, worship other gods, then then the Lord says, that's fine. See what you can get from those other gods, but you're not going to get it from me. Okay,
1: yeah. The thought is that the land that was promised is a heck of a lot bigger than what Israel has. Not today. today, but forever. Yeah. It goes right. all the way to the Euphrates River, right. down to the Red Sea, forward to
0: Egypt. And yeah, and there's not really a defined boundary. Yeah, yeah. I know, the United Nations decided they just sort of give them the sliver. They apparently weren't reading Genesis when they did that. So. Yeah, well, I know, there's a lot of effort being made, but there's a lot of resentment that is building as well over this. And again, a number of people in the Christian community would say, "Well, that's it says it right here, so it's theirs forever." And then there's others of us that say, "No, because it it's contingent on remaining faithful to the Lord." So where Jesus fits in, if you're if you don't believe in Jesus, are you faithful to the Lord? That see that that adds that extra element there. Okay, well we're going to end a little uh, soon today because uh, some people want to head off to. Uh, reserve their spot uh, in the late service for uh, for confirmation. But again, special day today. We want to kind of think about our kiddos and, and remember them in our thoughts and prayers. So let's uh, close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the way that your word continues to speak to us and remind us of how, uh, how faithful you are to your promises. Lord, we know we are not faithful. Lord, we are wishy-washy. We're all over the map. And sometimes we're we're right there with you, Lord, and other times, like sheep, we've drifted away. But you are the good shepherd, and the good shepherd follows the sheep and watches out for them and continually pulls us back into the fold. So, Lord, on this confirmation day, we pray that you would continue to be the shepherd for our young people. So many pressures today, so many things they're exposed to way, way too early in life. And uh, Lord, we just kind of ask that you put your spiritual uh, armor around them, put your spiritual hedge around them, continue to shepherd them, and then continue to use us as the voices of uh, of your word, that as we uh, continue to pray for our young people, as we continue to show interest and make time for them, that we also can uh, can offer the, the stories of, of how you have walked with us through life and how the promise of your uh, presence with them will continue in their life. So watch over us this day, dear Lord, until we're together again, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.